A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined finally by the gorgeous Emma Gilmore. She's Hope Rising Coaching, what she's also known as on Instagram. And I just, I love your posts. I love your trauma-informed kind of approach as well and your beautiful, colourful and bubbly personality. And, you know, I've been watching you for a while and think, I want to get that lady on and hear what she's all about and hear her story and, and also share what she's got to offer to the sober space. So thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. And um, equally like yourself, I have been watching you for a long time, very inspired by the work that you do and excited watching your beautiful beachscapes on Instagram every morning. So lovely. Oh, I do. I love it. I love getting down there. And sometimes I think, is this too much? Do people actually get, but then I get some nice comments from people saying, I love your sunrise shots. They're really great. So I keep on posting them. It's nice. You know, it's a reminder for me when I capture that moment that 
wow, life wasn't always like this. And mornings used to be a fucking shit show. (laughs) And then not anymore. Mm -hmm. So what a blessing. And I'm so happy to capture that. Tell us, I mean, everyone knows my story, but tell us a bit about your story and when you got started with drinking and how that kind of evolved for you. And just tell us everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably it like a lot, you'll probably find a lot of people out there. When I was very young, I always felt a little bit different to everybody. And I know this is such a common thread, but I always felt like I was sort of on the outer. I was very quiet. I was very bookish. People used to come around to play with me and I'd sort of like be hiding in my bedroom and reading my book and kind of wishing that they weren't here so that I could be on my own. And I was also very disorganized. And I was people always like, oh, there's Emma. She's so disorganized. She's a bit of a tomboy. She's She never remembers her homework. There was all this going on through my kind of childhood. So After a while, I began to kind of take that on. And I think that was kind of where the beginning of my journey with alcohol started. I had, I think, and again, I think this is really common. I had a breakup with a friend. So I was about 12 and I broke up with my best friend and it broke my heart, which sounds crazy, but it, it did. And at that point, I sort of, and I was very much a very young uh, 12-year-old, I think, and I was sort of, I used to play make-believe games and all that sort of stuff still. When she broke up with me, it finally was the sort of nail in the coffin of, you don't fit in, you don't belong, nobody wants to be your friend, you're different. And it was around that time that I started drinking and smoking and generally being a pain in the bum without really realizing what I was doing but I think very much in order to fit in but also to reinvent myself and I spent the next 40 years I would say living that invented character when I stopped drinking in January 2020 three years ago the biggest process for me is refinding that little girl and bringing her back to life Mm. And that has, that's been my journey with this, which I found so fascinating. And I think it's a very common thread for people, but definitely for me, drinking was very much part of my social life. I lived in London. I worked in the media. I went to all the parties and we were doing all sorts of things, but I could never imagine the idea of not drinking. And in fact, when I actually stopped drinking, I only managed to stop drinking because I didn't think it was going to be a forever thing. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have started, which informs quite a lot of what I do. Yeah, I was the same. I was talking to someone about this the other day. If I had have gone into my the 12 months off thinking that's it, that's forever, I, I don't think I would have lasted. I think it's really important to have a set time and then sort of reassess how you're feeling at the end of the time because it seems way too much. In fact, even 12 months seemed a lot, but it was like I needed a lot. I needed a good old fucking break. But yeah, why did you get to the point where you felt like it was becoming an issue for you? Yeah. And again, I think this is going to be a very common theme for people, but I came into midlife. So in my, I was working in corporate marketing for great big companies and I was doing everything on a hundred miles an hour. So I was working full time. I had two little babies that we'd moved out to Australia. It was quite competitive career wise. And again, I still, I never really fed in with it, but I know I was going a million miles an hour, surviving on alcohol, caffeine. I had a whole heap of other stuff going on with diet culture as well. And so I used to do run and I'd get up and I'd, so I think I was quite healthy. Like I'd get up and I'd run 10K and I'd run 15K at the weekends. And actually I was somebody who woke up early 
as a person who drank and then went for a run after having drunk the night before quite considerably. And it's so interesting how hard I pushed myself for how long. And I'd be pretending I wasn't a mum, so I'd be hiding in the cupboard, taking global conference calls when my babies were neurodivergent at the time, but they were just like having huge amounts of separation anxiety. And I was almost having to pretend that I wasn't a mum. So I was having to pretend I wasn't a mum, working really, really long hours. My relationship with my husband was really in a bad place. And it was almost like I was suppressing all of this stuff with alcohol. So I was pushing it all down and ignoring it and pretending it it didn't exist. And then the shit hit the fan, so to speak, in my workplace. And I was so brittle. I just kind of broke and I couldn't be there and I couldn't deal with it in a grown-up way. And I had to walk away. And I walked away and I was completely broken because that was my whole identity. I'd built up everything around having been this marketing person for this big, these big corporate companies. And I knew that Melbourne was a really small place. And if I had a breakdown and had to leave my job, that would be very much on grapevine. And if I was applying for jobs that people would be phoning up other people and going, hey, is she all right? And you go, had a bit of a breakdown. Did this shit hit the fan as a result of your drinking? I don't know if it was as a result of my drinking. I think it was a mixture of this perfect storm that I had created in my in this life that I thought was everything I ever wanted. And so I genuinely believed I was living the dream. And I look back on it now and I'm like, it, I was so stressed. I was so anxious. And I was waking up at three o'clock in the morning, as so often is the case, and beating myself. And then, and then I think what happened was when I came to midlife and my hormones started changing, then all of the things, sudden, all the things that I could push through, all the things that I could put up with, I wasn't able to anymore. There's something that comes about with this sort of midlife hormonal change, which means that in so many cases, we can't, we can no longer. And it's why so often as well, women are being diagnosed with ADHD, which is what's happened to me. And then it suddenly all makes sense. And you're like, I can't push through. Okay, my hormones are coming. I can't give out to anybody, everybody anymore. And I think it was this perfect storm that actually was the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. Whilst at the time, I thought it was a complete disaster. And I think at that time, I'd started, I was doing all this stuff to build myself up. I was doing yoga. I was doing breath work. I was like changing my career. I retrained as a counsellor. And it just still wasn't right. Something wasn't right. Something was off. But I was still drinking a lot. And I was very stressed and anxious. I was very ashamed of what had happened to me in the workplace. And I had started my drinking had started to get really out of control. I remember going away on a camping trip that I really didn't want to go away with my husband and a group of friends because I just didn't want to face people. And I remember having a big chug of gin. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And that was sort of the beginning of, hmm, that's interesting. And then I had various different things that happened in that last year. And I was constantly trying to take breaks from alcohol and not succeeding as often is the way. Feeling like I was deprived, having a dreadful time. And then it was really my kids, which I know, again, is a very familiar story, but my kids are developing into their personalities that are 11 and 14 and 12 and 14 actually now. But at the time, my eldest was 11. And I remember her saying to me one night after we'd had a massive party, we were the party house of the street. And we had this big party and everyone was around. And we had DJs and it was like, oh, we were having such a great time. And I went to put my kids to bed and my eldest child said to me, mum, can you not bring wine into the bedroom when you're putting us to bed? Because it makes us feel anxious. Oh, wow. It didn't hit me straight away. 
slept on it overnight. And I think that was probably my, I, I had so many different things that happened to me. I'd fallen asleep in taxis. I put them in vulnerable situations. I put myself in vulnerable situations. I'd embarrassed myself. I was continuously passing out. But that was the thing that didn't sit with my intuition. And there was something in my intuition, which again, I think this journey is so much about, which was just knocking and saying, hey, this isn't right. This isn't in line with your values. And this isn't the parent that you want to be. And that was how it came about and then I ended up doing the January alcohol experiment with this naked mind and I decided to take a year off like you so easiest thing for me to explain to people because people were okay with a year off because I'd done fed fast so October they were like okay it's just a we don't have to get too stressed about it it's just a temporary thing and the year's like it's okay but then within two weeks of having done that course I was like this method is amazing and I really loved it so I was like oh I'd like to train with these guys to learn how to to do what they they do so I added that to my counseling and my coaching skills and thought this is where I think I need to be which is so random and I can't even imagine that I've ended up here because it wasn't at all what I would have thought I would be doing but here I am it's interesting how we have that intuition and the body, the signals and the feedback the body's giving us all the time. And that kind of like, this feels wrong for me and yeah. it's not aligning with my values, yet I can't stop. That's really hard. That's a hard place to be when you feel you're compromising yourself, but you just can't stop. Was it that moment when, was it your son? Uh, yeah, my son. What was it about him saying that that really got you thinking, okay, well, first of all, it was an incredibly grown-up statement from him, like that anxiety thing. It felt to me like a very considered, not something that he'd just come up with. It was something he'd obviously thought about. It was so interesting because I think with the way that I was brought up, and I'm sure, again, very common theme, the idea of not drinking wasn't even anything I would ever have thought about. Like it wasn't on the table for me. I, I had no, no frame of reference of people who didn't drink at all. And... I think that there was this idea that the kids might be feeling unsafe with me, that there's no one really looking after them and not to be negative about that because I know that there's a lot of great things about our parenting even when we're drinking. But I think the level that I was drinking to and also the sort of lack of interest that I'd get into when I was drinking I remember the kids coming up when we'd be with friends and they'd be like, oh, watch my performance or da, 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 da. And now I'm yes. like, oh, God. Oh, I remember that too, when the kids want to show you something mm. or put on their fashion parades and you're like, oh. Yeah. Even though I've talked about this before of begging people to put the kids to bed for me because I just yeah. couldn't be bothered. I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. And it takes up so much time when you're wanting to get back to your drinking and it's like, especially like my kids also really struggle with sleep. So bedtime's always a massive rigmarole mm. and it would go on for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and I'd be trying to get away from them, but actually what they really needed because their little nervous systems were all dysregulated was to be in a big cuddle with mom. Yeah. It's hard when we realize that and we realize actually what they needed was my attention and my time and I wasn't giving them that and yeah. that can be hard. But what we can do is repair that rupture now and That's be right. there as much as we can now rather than give ourselves a hard time about that. So tell me, with your childhood, was there a lot of drinking for you in your childhood? Were mum and dad big drinkers? My mum and dad were big drinkers, but I wouldn't have ever thought they were anything other than that word normal because that's all I knew and all their friends drank like that. We grew up, we lived in lots of different countries. So we grew up 
in different countries in Africa and then we ended up in Brazil so we kind of did that back and forth from the age of about seven to about 16 or 17 and so it's very much like that sort of expat lifestyle parties and I always remember mum and dad always had come home from work there would always be a drink never have like an alcohol-free night or anything and I remember going on my first holiday with a girlfriend from school and it was like our first grown-up holiday and she was like oh, do you know what I think I'm going to have an AF day and I was like why would you and I actually got quite angry I was quite unpleasant because I thought it was like judging me and it was just felt so strange I was like why would you ruin my holiday by not drinking with me yeah so. <laughs> could be quite confronting can it you know how you said mum and dad, there was a lot of moving around and a lot of drinking within yeah. the home. Do you feel like that yeah. you got that one-on-one attention and that cuddles when you needed it, just like you were saying that perhaps your kids may not have got when you were drinking so much? Yeah, look, I did. It's quite interesting because my parents had me when they were a lot younger than we did. And I know that they were quite hard up. So they were they didn't have very much money and they were working lots of different jobs. Like my mum was a nurse and she worked in bars. And so they kind of shift working between them to kind of look after us. I don't think they were drinking that much when we were little because they were working so much. I don't really remember very much about that as a little kid. And I don't really remember feeling abandoned. But what I do remember was feeling overshared with from time to time as a teenager. And I remember just being witness to a few things that just were almost putting me more in a parental role. Not horrendously, but just enough to make me feel uncomfortable. And I do remember having to look after mum. And I don't think they were ever as bad as we, me and Damien were, but I do remember having to look after the vomiting in the toilet and all that kind of stuff. I learned something really new about neurodivergency uh, recently reading Chloe Hayden's book. And she was saying there's something in an ADHD brain that you can only hold so much information. For example, with friendships, you can quite quickly move from one friendship group to another, which worked quite well for me growing up. But it's a bit like with people and with memories, with quite a few different things in life. I always was able to kind of compartmentalise things quite easily. So I'm I'm never quite sure what my real experience of things were because of the fact that I can only sort of hold so much information in there at, at any time. And I move quite quickly on from experiences. Like I was talking to my husband about how discovering this made me feel so much better about when my dad passed away, which was when we were on the way over here. And I'd always been like, I didn't really grieve my dad, not in the way that other people talk about grieving. But it was almost like because he wasn't there anymore. And I said, it sounds horrible. It sounds like I don't love him. And that's how I felt so guilty. I was like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I feel like that? Well, all of those diagnoses are really just a coping mechanism. Like everything that shows up, any mental illness is really just a coping mechanism. And it's quite smart in some ways when you're adapting and having to move around a lot or you're not getting the connection that you need. It's easier to jump out of the, the experience and move on to something else. And so our little bodies, they're very, very clever in helping us adapt to situations. And henceforth, why I guess sometimes alcohol can feel really right to someone with ADHD because it's so Mm. soothing on the system and it allows the slowing down. Having that diagnosis, has that helped you understand your own relationship with alcohol as well? And also the way you work with people? What's really interesting for me is this whole concept of sensitivity 
which is how I like to think of it all. But so many of the women that I work with have that in their makeup. We find that cared too much. There was so much sensory overload with having children or, the, you know, all these different things that come on. I know Gabor talks about this whole idea of this sort of gene of sensitivity as opposed to, I, I can't, I probably can't explain it as well. You might be able to explain it better, Danny, than I am. I yeah, was stumbling he- with my words on it. Well, he talks more about that there's not actually the gene of alcoholism passed down, it's the sensitivity which is passed down, Yeah, which makes sense. And almost everybody that you meet who struggles with alcohol, I would say, it's a very common theme. And the characteristics of um, trauma, complex PTSD, ADHD, highly sensitive people, autism, there's so many traits that are aligned. And they're all traits that relate to having a very intense experience of life. It's very, very common for us to reach to alcohol as a coping mechanism. You know, you don't realise that that's what's actually happening with you. For for me, it was lovely to, I I only got my diagnosis because my kids did, right? So my kids were saying to me, we're ADHD, we're autistic, we're ADHD, we're autistic. I was like, talking about this is just how we all are right and of course we then had the di- their diagnosis they're very very happy with their diagnosis I know it's not for everybody but it's made a lot of sense to them and through that process then I got my diagnosis and for me it was like finally it all made sense these things that people used to criticize me for now I'm like actually that's just part of who I am and actually there's nothing wrong with it it's totally fine and so for me it was like oh it's like a light bulb come came on for me and it just felt so I'm not broken I'm just different and Mm. actually there's an awful lot of us who are different and I love that whole concept that Gabor talks about when normal's as screwed up as normal is being Mm. different is wonderful and most people are you know it's that kind of vibe it's this it's always like a majority of us are trying to fit into this world that's unfitinable that's a made-up word unfitinable I love it though. Unfitinables. We should get t-shirts made. The unfitinables. (laughs) I love it. But you know, one thing, Emma, as a highly sensitive person myself, it can be so fucking unbearable sometimes if you feel like someone's taking you the wrong way or not considered you. And it can be so much and so much for the people around us. My poor husband, if I feel like someone's hurt me, which can happen often, especially showing up as not being considered, or it used to be a case of I would stay awake for three days ruminating on something and be crippled over Mm. in agony in my stomach because it was upsetting me so much. And I would have to drink it away sometimes because it was like, this hurts me so much that I cannot be with it. And that was my coping mechanism. That's how I soothed myself often. Now finding ways, this is what I want to talk to you about, is Mm. I find other ways that I can regulate myself when I get very dysregulated when things like that happen, when that sensitivity. So I'm still like, take the alcohol out. I'm still just a sensitive person. That's right. Yes. But what I've learned is other ways to be with that, to be with that pain when it shows up and to soothe myself. How do you find ways in which you regulate yourself when that shows up, when that sensitivity shows up and those big emotions show up and we're like, "Ah, I don't know how to, I don't want to sit in this. I want to jump out of it like I always do. How do you show up for that? And how do you have a relationship with those big emotions when they show up? Yeah. I love, I love that you say that. And I also love your story about your sore tummy because that's such a, a common thing that I hear from people who score as well, and that we drink to stop that sore tummy. But how do I, to answer your question, there's a few different things. The most, the biggest piece for me has been getting to know and like that little girl 
the one who is disorganized, the one that's scared, the one that is all of those little lovely, awkward, uncoordinated, divinely shy, also sometimes quite gregariously chatty. It's about comforting her and being with her. So we've had quite a lot of stuff going on in our family with kids. Uh, my eldest is trans and my youngest really, really struggled with autistic burnout after um, COVID. And it's been a really, it's been a really interesting time for us as a family. I wouldn't say a bad time. I think it's been a period of huge learning. And what it's given me is just being able to, when everything is getting a wee bit crazy, or I'm getting really dysregulated, is to be able to be in my adult self, but at the same time, be able to kind of touch my skin and ground myself and just know that that little girl who's scared that I can mother her and that I am here for her and it's okay to be scared and we can do it together I, I saw recently that you have just finished your training breath work breath work is phenomenal I love that I swim and see that's my myself I discovered it in COVID and I don't swim fast I enjoy the experience of getting into the water and feeling on my body and I breaststroke not very far. That is a huge grounding thing for me. And most mornings I do it uh, regardless of the weather and just to feel that sensation of being in this thing that's so huge and beautiful. Mm, And all that, you know, every day, a different weather. Like one day it's flat as a pancake, the next day Mm. it's crazy. You know, that's been huge for me as well. Finding people that I love. Finding people that light me up, inspire me to connect with. I've started doing ecstatic dance, which I absolutely love. I saw that. I love it. I love it. So cool. I like five rhythms, but ecstatic dance also like awesome. Yeah, it's such a cool thing to do and push the edges and yeah, great. So I've been doing that on a Friday night recently and that's just like, wow, never thought I'd be able to do that. I remember when I first went, I just had to close my eyes when I went to five rhythms. So people listening, these are like these sort of, you have to be sober to go. You're meant to be sober to go. And they're just dimly lit dance where you kind of, well, five rhythms is very much moving through these five rhythms and you're moving your body with that rhythm and you just express what it's so like seaweed dancing, I'd probably call it, which I used to hang shit on with seaweed dances. Yeah. (laughs) And here I am seaweed dancing, but I just had to close my eyes down and just go and just go. And I loved it. It's just beautiful. You've been able to sort of move to rhythm and beat and just really get into the whole experience. And like you say, closing your eyes and touching your body. And I've had a few things going on with some neighbours and stuff. And just being able to expunge all that stuff and throw it into the ground and really do a bit of stomping. And that's been terrific. So lots of little things like that, but just really simple stuff, actually. I mean, that, that would be something I do like once a week or something like that. But just going for a walk, carving out time for ourselves, being with ourselves. Yeah, it's so important and to tune in and ask yourself what you need in that moment. So something went on for me the other day where I was feeling a bit dysregulated, again, a sensitivity issue that showed up for me. And so I went down, I could feel it in my body. So I went Mm. down and laid down outside, just asked myself what I needed. I sort of did a body scan and same thing, like put my hands on my body, like my chest Mm. and my tummy I was just with it for a bit and asked myself what I needed. And I just automatically rolled over on my side and kind of tucked my legs up into my tummy and just gave myself yeah. a bit of a pat <laughs> mm. and mm. just to be with and just to like rock yeah. backwards and forwards gently. And it didn't last yeah. long. I felt a lot better and my system just settled, which was really nice. Yeah. And it's nice when you feel that moment. 
I went out for breakfast the other week with a group of friends and some stuff had gone on before I left. There's stuff going on in, in my family at the moment, my extended family. And so there's, yeah, there's a lot. And so I got to this breakfast and I noticed when I sat down that I was really up here and I was, I said to my friends that I was meeting, oh, I'm just sorry, my heart's beating a bit fast and I'm feeling a bit yeah. up there at the moment. Yeah. And my friend, Zenith Virago, she's sitting next to me. She just put her hand out like this. She didn't even really look at me. She just put her hand mm-hmm. out there as an offering. And I just went straight and put my hand and then she put her other hand on top and we just sort of, yeah. she just settled me. And I just, I felt mm-hmm. my whole nervous system just drop. And then finally we let go and I, I was there and I was in the moment. I was with my friends. So it's so yeah. important to tune in to what your body's feeling and respect respond how you need, or perhaps if you're with friends, yeah. just to let them know, Hey, I'm a bit up there at the moment. Can someone just yeah. be with me for a minute to help me settle? Yeah. And, oh, uh, love it. The other day I was really, I was really sad about something and somebody just gave me this big, it was someone I loved. So it was totally fine, but gave me this big cuddle. And I was like, Oh, and I still, I have a bit of a journey with my body and being able to, and I think, again, this is very common for sensitive people as well, is that interoceptive awareness is very difficult for me. And so part of my journey is like trying to find how I'm feeling, identify it, give name to it, and be able to kind of do that switch between grounding. And grounding is probably a technique I use very, very much mm. in that being able to kind of like almost DJ the way, mix your way from emotion to mm person on person and human person with skin on the ground and part of mankind part of the world yeah how beautiful and what a beautiful thing to be able to offer people that you work with to be able to teach people how to regulate and how to ground themselves because that's essentially what we're looking for when we're self-soothing with alcohol or trying to avoid some discomfort we've taken Mm. the alcohol out but the discomfort's still there so we need tools we need techniques that we can use that are practical that are going to work and mostly they work I think when we are really with our experience but if you don't know you don't know so it's really great to to work with someone like yourself or any kind of person that works a little bit more somatically that's a bit more trauma informed so we're not just going I'll just distract yourself just go do something else because that's exactly what we don't want so sometimes distraction can be good if the other's not working yes sometimes we need that but I think it's very important to first try to tune in so that's really beautiful and I think a lot of people are getting diagnosed with ADD at the moment it seems to be the the thing of the moment but if you're struggling with ADD or you suspect you might have something like that if you find it hard Mm -hmm. to sit in your body and you're jumping from one thing to the other Mm -hmm. I think a coach like yourself that's gone through Mm -hmm. the sobriety journey who's also got their own lived experience with ADD you're the perfect person to reach out and to be able to help people with that so I really strongly would say to listeners if you're feeling that way to perhaps reach out to Emma because you want to work with someone who's gone through what you've gone through there's no point in working with someone who doesn't have ADD perhaps I mean people can have the knowledge but to someone that's living it and doing it that's their lived experience can be so helpful that's what we really need we need someone that's done the same thing yeah so what a beautiful thing that you can offer I knew Danny when we when I was reading all your posts. I was like, I know Danny and I are going to align because it seems like we have similar values and an outlook around working with people with alcohol. Yeah. So I'm really glad that you've had me on here, and it's really really lovely as well to meet you in person too. Even in, not in person, but in the Zoom room. Zoom. We'll meet in person one day. I'm absolutely sure of it. I'm. I'm I will. 
100% sure of it. And I'm also so excited for you that you've signed up for the year-long Compassionate Inquiry training with Gabor. Yes. Unbelievable. I just think if every coach should go and do that course, if they yeah. can, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, amazing course. It definitely changed the way I work with people and it also yes. changed the way in which I relate to myself. It was another one of those things, a bit like how Carl where it was like knock, knock, knocking on my, my intuition was going, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And it wasn't. Yeah. And, and finally, when you're alcohol free, it's like, actually, I can listen to you and I know that you know, yeah. so we're going to do it. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to hear about how that is for you in that course. And I'm sure it's just going to expand your already amazing knowledge of the body and the somatic experience and how beautiful, what a great thing just to add to your already amazing offering. So tell me a little bit more. So taking it back to your journey with alcohol mm -hmm. and yes. how has life changed for you without the alcohol? It's been three years, you said. So three years yeah. down the track and getting over the initial finding your feet, finding who you yeah. are without the alcohol. Yeah. How is that for you? It's interesting. And I know I spoke about this on Instagram is I celebrate my alcohol-free nurse, I suppose, alcohol-free nurse, because it has given me so much, not necessarily because it was a really hard struggle and I had to really grit my teeth to do it, but it's because I celebrate living this way because it feels like I get to step into actually being me and learning how to navigate that. And I get to totally be myself, like be my awkward, uncomfortable self, not go to stuff when I don't want to go wild and crazy about stuff when I do be totally me, be it wacky, be it kind of bright and colourful or be it like hidden away reading a book. But also I've always been really optimistic, upbeat, kind of risk-takey, fun-loving person at heart. And I wasn't like that for a long time when I was working in corporate. I was very anxious and I was very driven, totally out of alignment with my values in retrospect, <laughs> totally out of alignment with my values. Probably why and now drinking. I feel like I've well, exactly. Absolutely. But now it feels like I'm living in line with my values. I feel, and I'm sure this is again, very common situation, but I feel so much more grounded. I feel so much less reactionary, but I also feel stronger. Like I feel more powerful in that I, if something's wrong for me, and I'm not perfect at this, I'm still really learning this along with many, many other things, but starting to be able to stand in my own power and say, actually, that's not for me. And I walk away from things when they don't feel right. And I did that recently with something. And instead of coming from a scarcity place, which has always been my MO, I've actually been like, this isn't feeling good for me. And I'm nearly 50 years old. I don't need to do this anymore. How good is it? I don't know if it's yeah. a sobriety thing or just an age thing, but I'm maybe yeah, finding myself the same where I can just say no, no. And if yeah. people don't feel good for me, if I don't feel loved by someone, I did yes. this post the other day because I realized that if I don't feel loved, I don't feel safe. Yes. And then if I don't feel safe, yeah. I start a bit of shitty thinking because of the sensitivity yeah. and I, I freak out and I want to feel safe. So my mind yeah. tries to catch up with how I'm, I'm feeling. And so, and I can do that now too. I can recognize it and I can step yeah. away from a situation. If I don't feel loved and supported, it's really important yeah. to me to feel, yeah. and it is for all of us, right? We all want to feel loved yeah. and supported. I can't yeah. come at competitive behavior. I don't like that. Competitive behavior is one thing that I just, I pull way away from and me that's too. not my, how I operate in this world. And no. People in my circle start to get, I just know, and I, I can step away. Yeah. Or if I'm just feeling that 
I'm not being heard or not but valued. the same goes for me also watch how I'm showing up in the world as well yeah. but yeah we want to feel yeah. valued and we want to feel loved and supported and respected That's so true. the more of those people that we can have around us yeah. and share with and, and be with yeah then we're so much we treat ourselves yeah. better then sorry I just want to so rant then better. I don't even know why no you didn't it was so true though it's <laughs> so true yeah. it? I'm the same about the competitive thing I've always been the same I'm like if it becomes competitive I don't want to play yeah I'm me okay, too thank you 100 not interested mm-hmm. how absolutely beautiful and so life on the other side and then living with this diagnosis yeah. that you've just found out about yeah. and life is obviously really different and just to be able to show up in a different way and live authentically oh that's yeah. what I'm saying too yeah whether it's an age thing or if it's a sobriety thing yeah. or just doing work on yourself though you can start to realize yeah. what works for you and who works for you and, and what mm-hmm. does and what doesn't and so you now and how you're showing up now is it vastly different to how you were before I know that the job's changed and everything like that but just yeah. in terms of living in your values and tuning in with your body is that something you ever thought you'd be doing no it always surprises me I always end up doing things like this kind of happens to me I remember always being this woman when I had the kids I was like I'm gonna be all the drugs it's gonna be you know if I could have a cesarean I'd have a cesarean and then I had my first kid and then I was like okay no home birth (laughs) (laughs) yes I love it But it's like something in, I think something in your actual soul is who you really are. And I heard, I think it was in Gabriel's talking about midwifing ourselves as being one of the roles of coaching. And I just thought that was such a wonderful phrase. It's like, you know, kind of giving birth to this essence of self and allowing it to come into its actual, you know, this amazing potential that we're all born with. And for me, that's like being able to be with my kids who are just so quirky and different and exciting and being able to sort of stand by them and not bring my fear into their world like I would have done in so many different ways before. And also being able to have some really grown-up conversations with my husband have been really good because I think a lot of the time when I was drinking, I wasn't having, I was suppressing my needs a lot. And we got into a really unhealthy kind of dynamic with each other. And I think a lot of the time I was drinking to kind of manage the fact that that was happening. And I think now if things are hard, and I I still find this really hard at some points, I'm very much a work in progress in all of these things. But if something's really hard and it's really out of line with my values, instead of going and hiding and getting grumpy and disappearing or just drinking... I will. It might take me a little bit of time to ease up to it. And I might just get a bit of courage to have that difficult conversation. But I will have the difficult conversation. Whereas before I wouldn't have the difficult conversation, I'd be like, you know, this doesn't sit right with me. or This isn't how I am. Or, I, I'm experiencing a different reality than you. And that doesn't mean that my reality, because I think what used to happen was both of us were in that sort of, there's one reality and someone's either the winner or the loser. So someone's holding themselves in grandiosity, the other one's holding themselves in contempt. And I often was in that kind of contempt. And now it's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that anymore. We're either both coming along from the perspective that there's two realities and neither one is right or wrong, or we, we might have to look at something else. And it's been really good for us, actually. It's brought us much closer together. Yeah. And with the kids as well, it's been amazing. Like just being able to help them through some of this stuff as well and have those kind of conversations like we've been talking about now around mm. how are you feeling in your body and where do you feel that? You know, if they're on the way to school and they're having a panic attack, they don't want to go in. It's like you just breathe through it, talk to them about where they're feeling, where they felt that feeling before. Those sort of things. I would never have been able to bring that to the family. And even that my husband still drinks. And in fact, he works in the alcohol industry. And despite that, I know, right? How ironic. 
but it's like it despite that we've we found a connection we found things that we love to do together that are outside of drinking so in reality it's been really lucky that we've been able to find those things and have that grown-up relationship so that our relationship can carry on because I think actually if we'd have carried on the way that we were when we were drinking it probably wouldn't have been able to because we were really coming at it from the sit. Well that's really interesting because I get asked this one a lot it's not my experience that my husband Mm. still drinks and I don't because Mm. we quit together so a Mm. lot of people ask me about that and all I can kind of really offer up is something that I'm thinking is a good response to what they're saying but you actually have that lived experience like Kath you know Kath Elliot, yeah. like, you know Kath? Yes, yes, yes. Love it's Kath. Lovely. Absolutely yeah, beautiful. Me too. <laughs> oh my God, I love that woman. Kath had that experience too, where her husband mm. still drank while she was not mm. drinking and then he's caught up. But your husband still drinking. So that's really interesting. And what yeah. could you offer to people that are listening, Emma, that their partner's still drinking and and you're not? How do you cope with that? I think probably now it's a little bit harder than it used to be now, only because I've found such joy and happiness and I kind of would love him to be on this adventure with me. But generally since the beginning, I made that decision because we used to do everything together. We used to stop drinking, do all kinds of food fad that we used to be into at the time. And it always used to be together. And then I got the feeling that he wasn't coming along for the ride and I really needed to. And I had to make that decision. It was for me. And he was to have his own experience and journey of life. and. I was going to take control of mine because it wasn't sitting with me, sitting out of out of alignment for me. And to begin with, it was pretty okay, to be honest, because I stopped making, I didn't make a whole story about it, which I think can happen a lot. And we can often blame partners for behavior around alcohol and stuff like that, which can be quite destructive and unhelpful. But it was definitely about that. He's having his own experience of life. I'm having mine. And we come together where we come together. And then we have our boundaries around where we do. But the difficulty, I think the pain often comes in trying to control stuff and trying to make people conform to what you want them to do. And I've been lucky in that, in the respect of alcohol. I'm sure I'd probably do it in other ways. But in respect of alcohol, we've not had that dynamic at all. It's been very much like you do you, I'll do me. The only times that it's hard, I find, is just when we're not on the same plane, when it's not quite clicking at the weekend and things like that, if he's been out drinking or that can be a bit frustrating and you can feel a little bit sad as well that they're not able to get rid of that extra layer of encumberment it's a bit of a shame because you feel like it's a little layer that and I don't think everybody has to stop drinking or anything like that but I do think it really helps with personal work and with development work and I do think taking that coping mechanism out of the equation really allows you to work on the parts of you that you're running away from Absolutely. Yeah. So I can imagine how that would be a little, well, like you said, it could be a bit sad, a little bit disappointing, but you just sort of let him go and be about to, you know, do his business and know that this is your journey and and not his. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Because otherwise I think it can eat you up. And I hear Mm. so many people getting so upset and so angry with their partners because they don't want to do things the way that the other person wants to do them. This would be completely obvious to everybody, but, you know, nobody likes to be told what to do, right? No, that's right. And also we really have to watch our tendency to 
for other people to act and be a certain way so that we're okay, like with our preferences and our likes and our dislikes. We can get ourselves into a pickle, then we go all into our head and into our story because we then are projecting onto someone else something that doesn't feel okay inside us. That's one beautiful thing about the compassionate inquiry approach. It's like always bring it back to ourselves and our, our relationship with what's showing up and how we are experiencing what's happening in that moment. It's never about in the other person. It's actually about how we're responding to it. Yeah. It's so great. And a bit of a bummer too, because we realized, oh shit, I actually got to do the work here. (laughs) It's me. Damn it. It's Taylor Swift. It's me. I'm the problem. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh God, how gorgeous. (laughs) It could be the theme song we're going to have with our t-shirts. The unfittables. Well, unfittables. It's me. We should. Absolutely. (laughs) So beautiful. And so Emma, if you could go back in time and speak to your 12 year old self, what Mm. would you, and it sounds like you do often, but what what would you say to her? I think it would be, it's okay to just be you. You don't have to put on this big performance to conform to what everybody seems to be doing. And it actually, if you kind of reach into your awkward shy self it's that part of you that's actually going to be the lovable part of you that people will love not this pretend person that you've created to be what everybody thinks people should be like you know it's actually our our lord normal awkward silly selves that people love not pretend person that we create for the world you know oh that is so beautiful learning to just (laughs) love your awkward and shy self I wish I had have learned that way back when mm. as well or oh, to God. love my sensitive parts and not, uh, not to try and shy away from it but just to to be yeah. with that yeah wow but we're learning now hey that's right absolutely that's right. oh my god I'm a little bit in love with you I have to fess up you <laughs> I'm sure this is just that we're just scratching the surface Beginning. here and I'd love to especially also as you do the CI course to get you back on and we yes. can we can really jam <laughs> I'd love to do that oh my god become so CI nerds together absolutely yes. beautiful so again if people wanted to reach out to you just to, yes. to get in contact or to talk about mm-hmm. some coaching it's mm-hmm. at hope rising coaching is that correct that's right Absolutely. On Instagram. Great. And yeah, we'll put all the, all the links in the show notes for this episode and all the ways in which people can contact your beautiful Mm -hmm. self. Again, if you're being diagnosed recently with ADD and you Mm -hmm. are having a problem with alcohol, or even if you're just having a, want to learn how to, to regulate yourself or to live Mm -hmm. with this diagnosis, I think Emma is the woman for you. So definitely uh, reach out to her and and get in contact because yeah, what a beautiful human. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming I'm on so today. Glad. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Thanks so much. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.